Has the penny finally dropped with Errol Spence? I sure hope so. Because I was, you know, uh, a big admirer of Spence's ability from very early on in his career. I liked his attitude that he had as a young pro coming up. He was real hungry, blue collar, almost like a welterweight Marvin Hagler in terms of his attitude and the way he went about his business in the ring. But after becoming champion, he fell off. His attitude changed and... I was very alarmed to see him turning up drunk at press conferences, hanging around with the Charlos and uh, Adrian Broner and Javonta Davis and clowns like that. And I made videos at the time expressing my concern. And you had certain individuals in the comment section who were attacking me for being concerned about Errol Spence being drunk at press conferences and whatnot. You know, they were basically giving Spence carte blanche to carry on doing what he was doing. And there's a saying, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Well, with fans like that, who needs haters? Because fans, if you really love a fighter or you like a fighter and you want to see him at his absolute best, you want to see him become as successful as he can possibly be and fulfill his potential, then when you see him going off the rails... You shouldn't be making excuses for it because fans do have an influence over fighters' behavior, you know, to some degree or another. So when a fighter is going off the rails and the fans are just egging him on and bigging him up on social media, well, he's going to carry on doing what he's doing or there's more chance he'll just carry on doing what he's doing. But if millions of fans are saying, whoa, 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 Errol, chill. You're going off the rails here, bro, like, I'm a fan, but you can't be behaving this way and expect to have long-term success at the top of boxing. And so that's the angle I was coming from. But yeah, all these PBC fanboys, etc., started attacking me saying, oh no, leave Spence alone and he can go out drinking. It's not going to hurt him. And well, he nearly lost his life because of going down that path. Yeah, it's not just having a drink. It's the company you're keeping. It, it's the fact that his attitude was changing. He was blowing up in weight a lot more. He never used to blow up in weight to that degree between fights. In fact, he was mocking Kell Brook in lead up to their fight for the fact that Brook was the one blowing up in between fights. And actually, Brook was you know, living a lifestyle that wasn't very conducive to long-term success as well, okay? But at the time, Spence was the one with the correct attitude at that point. But when he became champion, it all went downhill. So let me, long preamble there, but let me just quote Errol Spence here directly. He said, that car incident or that car accident, excuse me, was eye-opening for me. He says, I told myself, you're tripping now. You're saying all this stuff and you're doing it uh, for your family. You want to be great. You want to be a legend. Then get back on your A game. It was a blessing. It put a lot of things in perspective. I was on a, a soul on a high. I was flawless, so to say. It pulled me down. It knocked me down. Right at the time of the accident, I was taking a lot of stuff for granted. I was heading that way. I was heading down that path towards self-destruction. 
I was taking a lot of stuff for granted. Even the Sean Porter fight, it was showing that I was slacking off all stuff. Even the Mikey Garcia, I beat him all 12 rounds and won every round, but the power wasn't there. I should have finished him, but the power wasn't there because I was trying so hard to make weight. The day of the weigh-in, I was sitting in a sauna for an hour and I didn't sweat. I had a sauna suit on, uh, my hoodie. I didn't sweat until I was like an hour in there just to make weight. Then I could only go up 10 pounds. I had to look myself in the mirror. A lot of guys, they get in an accident or do something wrong. They don't look at themselves in the mirror. Someone else, uh, excuse me, someone else do something and they'll put the fault on them uh, the blame on them and critique that person. When it's time to criticize yourself, a lot of guys won't do that. It's tough. I had to do that to myself. I'm the hunted right now. There's a lot of games behind me uh, like I was and they coming up behind me. There's an X on my chest and they're trying to knock me off. So those are the words of Errol Spence. Finally, it seems like the penny's dropping. And these are all the things I said prior to Errol Spence getting in that car accident. I was saying this for, what, at least a year prior, that Spence is headed down the wrong path and all those PBC fanboys were attacking me in the comment section of my videos, leave Spence alone and you're, you're just a hater and this, that. No, 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 no. I was never a hater. I always liked Errol Spence as a fighter. I was always a big admirer of his ability. I picked him to beat Kell Brook. Go back and check those videos. Yeah, I had to take a lot of heat from the British fans when I kept on picking Errol Spence to beat Kell Brook. As soon as Errol Spence got made mandatory, I was saying, I think he's going to beat Brook. You know, didn't go down well with British fans. So it's never been about me hating Spence. It's just been about seeing a guy with a lot of talent, a lot of ability, throw it all away, you know? But here's the thing. Is it too late for Errol Spence to get back on his A game and fix his attitude? Is it too late? Because the physical damage done to his body might mean that we never see him at his best ever again. We might never see the Errol Spence who fought, you know, whoever, uh, Kel Brook, even though he probably wasn't 100% when he fought Brook. But that's what we have to wait and find out about. When Errol Spence gets in the ring, How's he going to look? Will he be able to move the way he used to? Will he be able to punch the way he did? You know, one of the things that I quickly spotted when Errol Spence started appearing in public again and doing interviews is that his front teeth were false teeth. Did anybody else spot that? I spotted that immediately. <laughs> I immediately, that they're not his real teeth. They look far too straight and far too white to be his real teeth. And lo and behold, there was some article which came out a couple of days ago uh, where Errol Spence said, indeed, he lost his teeth in the crash. His teeth came out, his front teeth. So he had to have some, you know, uh, I don't know the technical term, I'm not a dentist, uh, but he had to have some type of false teeth put in, but they're not permanent false teeth. So now over the next, I don't know, couple of weeks or whatever the case may be, he's going to have proper permanent false teeth put in. <laughs> so that just gives you an indication of just some of the injury he suffered in uh, that horror car crash could have lost his life and hopefully it is the wake-up call and you know the wake-up call is not just for his career in terms of 
you know, treating his body better and getting his mind right. No, but in life in general, the path he was on is the path to self-destruction. Errol Spence isn't a street kid. He isn't a kid who came up in and out of prison, you know, running around in it. No, that's, that's not Errol Spence. So don't start hustling backwards. Don't start, you know, once you've made it and, you know, you don't have any criminal history or anything like that. Don't then start hanging around with people who can drag you down into that world. That's called hustling backwards. You don't do that. <laughs> once you reach a certain level, like an Errol Spence, you don't need no hustlers and them kind of people around you. Hell no. They will drag you down into their world and make you part of it. And you don't want to be part of that. Trust me. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Errol Spence says that in his prime, he would beat Mayweather. Well, that's an interesting statement to make. Spence is only 30 years old. So when he says, in my prime, He's almost talking in the past tense, it seems. Is that suggestive of Spence believing that the best of him is in the past and the injuries that he sustained in the crash will mean that the old Errol Spence is never going to return? Maybe he was just misusing the term in my prime. Maybe he just meant when I'm in shape, when I'm at my best. Let me know what you guys think about that in the comment section below, but Saying that if he was 100% focused and at his best, he could beat Mayweather. I like that from Errol Spence. As I said very early on in Spence's career, his attitude was different than most other fighters. He didn't look at Floyd Mayweather like a fan because that's how so many professionals did look at Floyd. Even the contenders in the welterweight division, many of them said, oh, I'm such a fan of Floyd. Are you crazy? This is a guy you're supposed to be not, you know, fanboying for. You're supposed to be challenging this guy. And instead you're talking about him like you're some fanboy? No. Errol Spence, as a young, and in uh, most cases for people who are young pros, impressionable kid, Errol Spence didn't have the attitude of a usual, you know, typical young, impressionable, professional boxer going into the Mayweather gym, being starstruck by Floyd, wanting to be just like him. Can I get your autograph, Floyd? No. He went in there with the attitude like, I'm going to prove myself. 
I don't give a damn about your reputation. I'm the star on the top like Christmas decorations. And me murking you right now? That's my estimate. Sorry, I turned into Kano for a second. <laughs> Shout out to Kano. That's the attitude he went into the Mayweather gym with. Didn't give a damn about his reputation, who he is, what he's done, how much money he's made. He got in the ring with Floyd. And he gave him the business, by all accounts, okay? And therefore, he still has that attitude now. At my best, I beat Floyd. He says he couldn't be, he, he couldn't break Floyd down mentally because he said Floyd is very, very tough mentally. But physically, he would break him down. You know, hit him to the body and all that kind of stuff. Now, am I someone who believes that Errol Spence would beat Floyd Mayweather? If I had to bet, if I had to put my last dollar on it, I would say no. But I wouldn't completely rule it out at all. Because really and truly, Floyd Mayweather never beat anybody like Errol Spence at welterweight. A southpaw that size with that ability, that kind of strength, mental and physical strength. He fought Zab Judah, of course, who's faster and more slick than Errol Spence. And he had a few issues early on. But Zab Judah doesn't have the mental toughness that Errol Spence has. He's not as big, he's not as strong, doesn't have as good a chin, etc. And Errol Spence can box, you know, even though he's, he might not be as explosive and fast as Zab Judah, he can box. We saw that in the Mikey Garcia fight. So, yeah, it, it, it was kind of funny. Whenever you would watch Floyd Mayweather fight, the opponents would fall under the Mayweather spell. You know what I'm talking about. It's like the first couple rounds, they might give it a go and it looks somewhat competitive. But after that, Mayweather would get into this groove and the opponent would just be stuck like a hamster going round and round in a wheel. And they just could not penetrate this Mayweather defense. They just could not get anything going and they could not get Mayweather out of his groove. Now, one of the fighters towards the very end of Mayweather's career who did have some success in unsettling Mayweather's groove was Marcos Maidana, particularly in the first fight, but even in the second fight to some extent, uh, he unsettled Mayweather's groove and he managed to get to him to a, you know, a bit. Obviously, this is Floyd in his late 30s. So which Mayweather are we talking about? Are we talking about Errol Spence versus a prime Mayweather or Errol Spence versus the Mayweather who fought Maidana? Because if you're talking about the version of Mayweather who fought Maidana, I think Errol Spence got a very good chance of beating that guy. Now, he can do what Maidana can do, but he's a southpaw, more skilled, faster, you know, technically better than Maidana. And the first Maidana fight was relatively close. I thought Floyd won both fights, don't get it twisted, but it was relatively close. So I like the attitude from Errol Spence. This is why I uh, started really following his career was because of the fact that he wasn't one of these starstruck uh, Mayweather fanboys as a young pro, but instead he was looking to try and take out the king and become the king himself. I like the attitude from him. So it seems as though Errol Spence has had some time to reflect over the past few weeks and he realizes the error of his ways and I'll do a separate video about that. But for this particular video, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Who would win between Errol Spence and Floyd Mayweather? Let's say Spence in his prime versus Mayweather at the latter stages of his career or prime for prime. Who wins? And some people would say that Mayweather's prime was probably at 140, 
rather than 147, even though he didn't stay at 140 for long. Uh, some people might argue, no, his prime actually was 147. But either way, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Who would win in that matchup? It's happening them out. Eddie Hearn says that when boxing returns, the Dylan White-Alexander Povetkin fight will be behind closed doors. He says that this will be one of the first fights that they're going to put on when boxing returns and that they're looking to do it maybe late July or early August and maybe also put, I think, Katie Taylor or something against Serrano on the undercard. And again, all behind closed doors. Now, Dylan White is the kind of guy who would fight you at your in your own backyard, literally, in your back garden, in a car park, wherever. He doesn't care. But will the lack of a crowd affect his performance? Because a lot of fighters feed off the crowd. You know, some fighters are the opposite. Some fighters are gym fighters and they produce by far their best form behind closed doors in the gym. When they're in front of a big crowd of people, they just can't produce the goods on the big stage when everybody's watching. They get almost like they get stage fright. As I say, some fighters are the opposite. Some fighters need the crowd in order to bring the best out of themselves. Now, my suspicion is that a lack of crowd would be more likely to affect Dylan White than Povetkin. And the only reason I say that is because of the fact that Dylan White is used to having a lot of support when he fights. Like when he fought, well, over the past few years, he's been fighting at the O2 and whatnot, and he's built up a you know nice fan base for himself. He's been headlining pay-per-views and whatnot. And I think he's used to having a crowd scream his name. He likes the entrance where he's howling like a wolf and doing all that kind of stuff. He feeds off the energy of the crowd to some degree. Pavetkin's a guy who's been fighting on the road. So even though he's in front of big crowds as well, he's not the one being cheered on, <laughs> you know? So, and look, some guys, they feed off the crowd in a different way. Like Chris Eubank Sr., for example. He was a guy who loved the crowd booing him, as perverse as that sounds, that <laughs> That's how Chris Eubank Sr. was. He used to get a rush of energy when the crowd would boo him. That's what he actually said out of his own mouth, words to that effect. Uh, is Povetkin like that? Does he need the crowd to be hostile, to give himself energy? I just think Povetkin is an old school, stone-faced Eastern European who really doesn't care about anything other than turning up to fight and getting paid. That's it. I don't think he's interested in the crowd or what they're doing or saying. He, he just looks like a dude who doesn't care. We can fight in a school gymnasium. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter with no people watching. He's going to perform just the same. That's the impression I get from Povetkin uh, because he has been a road warrior for the past few years. Whereas with Dylan White, you know, I'm sure White can fight anywhere, in the street, wherever. But maybe it might affect him more. Maybe he won't be quite as sharp. Maybe he won't be quite as on it if it's a behind closed doors fight. But it will be interesting to me. I know it's not ideal. We prefer fights to be in front of a crowd and have lots of atmosphere. But I will be curious to see these uh, behind closed doors fights, whether they're going to have, you know, like with a sitcom, you know, where they've got like fake audience noises in, <laughs> in the background for some of them sitcoms. Are they going to do that? Um, 
Are they going to, I mean, how are they going to do it? Is it just going to be completely quiet in the studio? You'll be able to hear the trainers of, but it'll be like a, a, a televised sparring session. It'll be so weird, but I will be interested to watch it. You'll also be able to hear the punches a lot more clearly with no crowd there. Yeah. And that'll also be very interesting because a lot of the time the sound of the punches is uh, drowned out by the crowd noise. But this will be more like sparring where you see two real powerful heavyweights wailing away at each other and the uh, the force of the blows will be more palpable. You know, it, 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 you'll be able to get a sense of how powerful these guys really are because of the fact that there's no crowd drowning out the sound of the punches. So that'll be interesting as well, you know, for for you guys out there who haven't been to a professional boxing show, you haven't spent your lifetime around gyms, etc. So you don't know what it's like uh, seeing big heavyweights wail away each other. For those of you who don't know what, what that's like, you'll be interested, you know, uh, watching a white Povetkin fight behind closed doors. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Uh, who will this affect more, Povetkin or Dylan White? Will the outcome be different because of it? Uh, will there be less pay-per-view sales because of it? I mean, look, there's going to be less pay-per-view sales moving forward over the next few years because the economy is in absolute tatters and it will be for maybe a decade or more to come. I mean, I don't think people really understand the incredible amount of damage which has been done uh, to the economy because of the current situation that we're going through right now. And, uh, people are going to have far less disposable income. And that will become more and more apparent as the months and years roll on. Yeah. And that will affect boxing. Massive, uh, you know, in a massive way. It's definitely going to affect boxing. So enjoy it while it lasts. And as I say, it, it, it may affect the white Povetkin figures. The fact that there's no crowd there, they're probably going to have to pay the guys less because there won't be a gate. It'll all be pay-per-view, but even then, how many people are really going to tune in for the pay-per-view? I think initially, because people just want to return to normality, there might be some decent numbers maybe later on this year for some pay-per-views. But as things roll on and the true extent of the incredible amounts of unemployment, etc., start to come to the fore, then you're going to see a big drop-off in uh, pay-per-view numbers, in attendance figures, all that kind of stuff, unfortunately. But, you know, it is what it is. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening. I'm out. In this interview right here, Eddie Hearn dispelled the rumor that there are negotiations going on between Team Joshua and Team Fury for an undisputed fight. But what he did say is that several offers have been made by various different territories, and I'm sure Saudi Arabia is probably one of them, Turkey might be one of them, Africa, etc., maybe from the United States as well, but certain territories, certain venues, uh, certain financial people have approached Eddie Hearn with a view to making the undisputed fight in their country. Yeah, that, he admits, has happened. Deontay Wilder apparently has some kind of injury. There are details coming out that I believe it's the bicep again, and it's not the first time that Deontay Wilder has injured his bicep. One of the times he injured it was in the Chris Ariola fight. And he does seem quite injury prone, Deontay Wilder. And I think that is down to the fact that he is 
a skinny, wiry guy. And when you hit as hard as he does, but yet you're skinny and wiry, you know, you're not a short, stocky guy with robust, uh, you know, a, a robust frame like a Mike Tyson at 220 pounds. No. Deontay Wilder, and in his last fight, he was a lot heavier, but generally he's around, you know, 215, 220. He's skinny, elongated muscles, elongated bones, etc. You know, just not as robust as certain other big punches throughout history, like a Mike Tyson. Not, not that physically robust. And he's becoming more and more injury prone as he gets older, it seems, Wilder, because he's broken his hand numerous times in his career, his right hand but also tearing his bicep and all this other kind of stuff. It's concerning for Wilder that all these injuries are happening now. So we don't know when boxing is going to resume, but I, like most people, am hoping that some type of deal can be worked out with Kubrat Pulev, Alexander Usek, <laughs> Dylan White, <laughs> um, Deontay Wilder, because these are all the people who are going to have to be kept happy to allow the undisputed fight to happen next. But given the situation in the world right now, the future is very uncertain. Not just the future of boxing, but the future of world economies and so on and so forth. Therefore, right now is the time to make that undisputed fight, in my view. Right now is the time to make it because the number of people who are going to become unemployed, who are going to have their wages cut, etc., is in the millions and millions. There's going to be far less money for people. I mean, people are going to have a much lower disposable income in general. And that is going to get worse and worse in the coming months. Okay, so in my view, the best time to do the undisputed fight is next. That's when it makes the most sense. If, the longer you leave it, the value of the fight could actually start to depreciate because of the economy. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Uh, do you think that one of these locations, be it Saudi or wherever, could just come up with some insane amount of money and say, hey, look, this is what we're offering you to do the fight right now. Pay whatever you got to pay to Wilder and all these other guys. Make it happen. Do you think that's realistic? Is that what you're hoping for? Let me know what you think in the comment section below. It's happening. I'm out. Hey, where are you? London. Oh, okay. London, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Omar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global via Skype from New York. I'm joined by Sweden's very own Otto Wallin. Um, Otto, it's been a couple of crazy months for you. I know you've got coronavirus, uh, so we'll start there. How are you doing now and how did you overcome it and what was it like the experience? Yeah, so what is it? Maybe six weeks ago, I started having symptoms same time as my mom and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend tested, tested positive. Uh, they, got, they got more sick than I was. They had high fevers and were very tired and stuff. But I was, um, I had a light fever. Uh, I felt a little off, a little sore throat. And I was sneezing a little bit and coughing, but not, not bad at all. 
just like uh, normal, just a little bit under the weather, nothing special. Then I started getting better, and then I lost all my sense of smell and taste. So that was gone for, like, the taste came back after about five days, then another five days for the smell started come back. So, but now I'm all good. I, I didn't get tested back then, but I've been tested now for the antibodies, and I have the antibodies, and I don't have the virus. So I'm healed up and doing good now. So my mom and her boyfriend also, so we're happy about that, of course. Glad you're recovered, and your family's all good as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, everybody's doing well now. That's good. Otto, of course, in uh, America, where you are, you know, you're in lockdown, where I am in London, we're in lockdown. Interestingly enough, Sweden, your home country, has approached it slightly different from what I read online. There isn't a lockdown really in place. There's social distancing, but they're trying to keep society as normal as possible. What's going on in Sweden? Do you know much? Yeah, I'm following it. I think it's very interesting. Um, Sweden, I mean, some people don't know, but Sweden have restrictions. Like you're supposed to social distance, uh, high schools and universities closed, um, restaurants are open, but you can't be at the bar, you gotta be at a table and still social distance. I mean, you can be in a, in a group, like in a table, or you gotta be at the table. Uh, but outside, you, you're supposed to social distance and stuff. So Sweden has uh, made some restrictions, but but gyms are open, restaurants are open, like I said, and other stuff also. But yeah, so so it's different. It's different, but it's gonna be interesting. We don't know how long this is gonna last, and you can't keep a lockdown forever. So I think that Sweden is, is trying to find a way forward to make sure we can keep this for a longer period of time. And we know we don't know yet what's gonna happen, but we'll see. Also, of course, before this whole lockdown, uh, you suffered an injury and you were scheduled to fight uh, former world champion Lucas Brown. Do you believe after we're out this situation and society's back to normal and boxing's on, whether it's uh, with no fans or with fans there, do you think the Lucas Brown fight will happen, Otto? Uh, I don't know yet. I don't know. We have, we, it's not locked in or anything, but I think that would be a good fight for me to come back with after this lockdown and uh, coming off a loss and coming off an injury. So I, I want to fight somebody like Lucas Brown. He's still dangerous, so I'm not underestimating him. I just think that I'm better. Since your, your last fight with Tyson Fury, uh, where you put up a, a very good display, a better display than Vladimir Klitschko did and Wilder did in the, the, the rematch with Fury, um, how has your sort of profile changed and... Uh, how do you think you've developed and come on as a fighter since then? I think I think a big thing is that I get a lot more recognition. I get to talk to you guys more, you know, the media and stuff. So I mean, that's good. That's that's good, of course. But the biggest thing is also the the experience. I only have about 21 fights now, and I only had like 46 amateur fights. So it's good for me to get the experience, and, and you can't get better experience than fighting the best in the world. So it was a great experience for me, and I need more of it to keep improving. And I want to stay busy. You know, it's a little hard right now, but I haven't I had some bad luck like over this last year. So I just want to get back in there and have keep fighting uh, all the time. So see what happens when this is over. It's quite interesting, hey, in the, in the same location, Las Vegas, MGM Grand, 
uh, as I said, it was a very tough fight for Tyson against you. And then he went into his next fight against the WBC champion of the world at the time, Deontay Wilder, one of the scariest men uh, to ever get in a ring. And he completely destroyed him. You know, one of the yeah. easiest fights for Tyson Fury. Yeah. Uh, interesting, that, isn't it, Elsa? That was interesting. I mean, Fury he put up a great fight. There was really good performance. I think that the training change obviously was working. They had a good game plan. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. He, Fury fought a great fight, but I honestly think also that my, my fight with Fury brought, brought a lot out of him. So he was better prepared for the rematch with Wilder. I think so. We mentioned Lucas Brown as a, as a possible opponent. Obviously, that was scheduled in before this lockdown. Um, any other names you're looking at, Otto? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of good fighters out there. There's a lot of heavyweights are doing well, and I'm going to be fighting on Showtime now. So there's a lot of guys under the PBC stable that can, the fights can be made. I just hope that I can get the fights that I need, and I'm sure I get it. I just got to get back out there and, and doing well. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of good guys out there that I want to fight, but just got to get back in there, get on the right track, and we'll take it from there. How did this deal with Showtime uh, come around? I wasn't aware of this. No, he came around after the Fury fight. We had a few good offers from different people, but we felt that the Showtime offer was the best, so we went with that. So, so that's the plan right now. Let me ask you about a potential fight then. Robert Hellenius just uh, knocked out Adam Kalnatsky uh, at the Barclays. Uh, a fellow European, of course, Hellenius. That's a decent fight. can be easily made with PBC. Yeah, and he's, he's born in Sweden also. Oh, was he born in Sweden? Yeah, yeah, he's born in Sweden. I think he was fighting for the Swedish national team back in the days. But now he lives in Finland. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, I think that's a fight that a lot of people want to see. And I think that would be a good fight. He's got to come back, you know, have a cup of fight and then take a guy like him. I didn't know, I didn't know that. I thought he was just pure Finnish. I didn't know. Yeah. No, I think I'm pretty sure he's born in Sweden. Yeah. And you believe you're uh, going to be carrying the flag for Sweden, become a heavyweight world champion soon or so? I think so. I think I have the tools for it. Uh, like I said, I need experience. I think that's, that's a big, big thing for me right now to get the experience, you know, get good fights. And, but I'm always in the gym training, trying to get better. And I haven't, I haven't taken a lot of damage in my career. So I feel like I'm just coming into my own right now. I'm 29 years old, but I feel like a young boy still. So, you know, I think I'm coming into my own and I think I have my, my better years in front of me. Also, you're a rare heavyweight in that you fought arguably the two top heavyweights in the world at the moment, in Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, of course, Fury in the in the professional game, and uh, Joshua uh, in the amateurs, and also you were his chief sparring partner for the Charles Martin fight. So you've had a, a lot of time with Joshua, and obviously that that very good fight with Tyson Fury. Give me give me an honest breakdown here. If that fight happens, which it looks like it will, uh, whether it's this year or next year, Fury and Joshua, who do you see coming out on top? I think, I think it's going to be a good fight. You know, Joshua, big puncher, and it's always going to be dangerous. Uh, Fury, you know, good boxer. He has a lot of size, tall guy, good upper body movement. And I know that Joshua, he doesn't like to look bad. Like, he doesn't like to miss his shots and stuff. 
you can see when he fought, I think Andy Reese that he was looking at the crowd and stuff when uh, when he was getting hit and stuff. So I think that Fury can make it uh, use his tools that way, take a lot of uh, Joshua's uh, strength away. But Joshua is always going to be dangerous since he's a big puncher. But I have Fury as the favorite. Okay. Do you see him potentially stopping Anthony Joshua? I think that would be hard. Yeah, some people say that Joshua has a bad chin, but I don't think so. He's he's been he's got knocked down with Klitschko. He got up and finished Klitschko. I mean, he was knocked out with Andrew Reese, but he kept getting up at least. So I think I think it would be hard for Fury to stop him. Lots of people watching this would have seen your fight with Tyson Fury, but they wouldn't have seen any videos of you in the ring with Anthony Joshua. Just give us a little insight, if you can, how that was both in the amateurs and your sparring time with Joshua. Yeah, I actually got both fights from the amateurs because my father he used to come to the fights and always record it. So actually, one of the fights is up on Harringay Box Cups uh, Instagram page, I think. They posted it not too long ago. So that's one of the fights. And then we had the other fight. He beat me on decisions. So, I mean, it was it was good fights. It was close, close fights. He won, but I felt like I could have got at least one of them. Uh, also, sparring was great. Like we've been talking about experience, and that's great experience. I was there for a long time, sparred maybe 150 rounds or something. I noticed that Joshua spars a lot. I would say that he spars a lot more than what I've seen before. So, you know, he had different guys in there and, and spars a lot of rounds. Man. I was impressed with that. Who was trickier to deal in the ring with, Anthony or Sison? I would say that that Joshua, like I said, he's a big puncher, so you got to be alert at all times because he can bring out a shot out of nowhere. I remember how he knocked out Charles Martin with that step back and straight right. Uh, he was he was hitting me with that too in the beginning when we were sparring, and that was a really tricky shot because he was very fast and didn't see it coming. But then after we sparred a few times, I picked up on it, of course, so I could then I could see it better. But he's tricky, but but Fury. Different kind of guy, you know, showman and and uh, grabs the rope and dance and has his hands behind his back and moves his head a lot. So I'd probably say that Fury is the trickier fighter. He's more unorthodox. Okay. As we mentioned earlier, you, you know, you've done this deal with, with Showtime. So naturally, your next fights are, are going to be in America, probably New York uh, at the Barclays. Uh, is that where you see the bulk of your career now uh, in the States or so? Yeah, I see it in the States. I don't know about New York yet. Uh, my next fight against Lucas Brown was going to be in Vegas again. But hopefully in New York, I want to fight at the Gardens because I live just around the corner. So I can just walk over there, get to win, and then walk home. That would be nice. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right in the center of Manhattan then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. In Chelsea here, yeah. Just around the corner from, from the Gardens. What's it like in New York at the moment? We see on the news in, in England how bad it is uh, in America, especially in New York. What's it like now, Otto? Uh, it's different. It's not so much people out. Everything is closed pretty much. You know, the grocery store is open. So I pretty much just go there and then I go home and do my workouts here in my apartment. But I think the situation has been very serious. We lost two men from my gym. The owner, Francisco Mendes, 
he owned owned uh, Mendes Boxing Club. He passed away, and then uh, Nelson Cuer was a, a old cut man. Used to work with Tyson back in the days and stuff. So we lost them guys, and it's been very hard for for everybody involved, especially their families, of course. So so the situation is serious, very serious. But at least the numbers are getting better. The deaths are coming down. So. We just gotta keep doing what we're doing, and hopefully the government will find a good way to move forward. Well said, Otto. Listen, I appreciate your time speaking to IFL TV. Is there anything you want to add, Otto? Yeah, I just want to add that I want to thank everybody over there in the UK. I get a lot of guys getting a hold of me on Instagram and stuff, so I'm very happy about that, and I really appreciate the support, and not only from the UK, the whole world. Otto, thanks for your time. As I said, hopefully. Uh, n- we go back to normality and then boxing's back and we see you in the ring uh, soon. Uh, But for now, God bless and uh, take care. Thank you. about just about anything these days like we're prepared to discuss anything that any elite fighter says and the best conversation to have is a unified undisputed heavyweight championship bout that's what we've all wanted for so many years we thought we were close to it we are almost there it was going to be america versus the uk or america versus the brits the whole world would be watching and then we all know how the apple cart got upset So the idea of Fury, Joshua, coming together to settle the score for all belts, for an undisputed title shot, heavyweight championships on the line, is, it's too, it's just too delicious to not discuss. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Not next. I don't care how long this quarantine lasts. It's not going to happen. Michelle, you know as well as anybody, like, you can run down just how much have you seen over this past week of discussions, like real negotiations being discussed of a fight that just, it can't happen. It's interesting because the first thing I thought when I read that, you know, like all the news articles was like, wait a minute, how? Like, we have contracts in place. I understand that the contracts that were once signed are no longer uh, valid because the date is different, but it doesn't mean it changes with who the mandatory is. It doesn't change the automatic rematch clause that, that is in place. I do not, under any circumstances, see Deontay Wilder stepping aside for any fee, especially after Eddie said something along the lines of it would be embarrassing if Wilder did step aside. So it's almost like you're almost egging him on even more. Like, well, I'm definitely not stepping aside if that's what you're going to go off saying. So I think it's fun news topics. I think it's fun to talk about the what ifs right now. But the realistic, um, or being, being realistic about this, it's not happening. It's not happening. How are we even... How are we even saying negotiations when they don't even have, they can't get past the opponents that they have under contract? It's not happening. Will, and it's funny because I actually, I have to read this real quick. 
Eddie Hearn said that he stressed the tentative nature of the discussions, but confirmed to ESPN, we're talking to MTK about where the fight would take place. At the moment, the main focus for everybody the contractual situations, a.k.a. the guys they're supposed to fight next, right? The conversations between myself and MTK are that we've had an approach. The only discussions at the moment are where the fight would take place, and we don't even know when this fight could take place. We're certainly open to having discussions about the possibility of this happening this year or next year. So who done messed up and started reporting that it could be next? Because according to what Eddie said, he's basically saying we're having a conversation about the possibility of a unification fight that may not happen next. Yeah, you have actually piqued my curiosity about one element of the story. What I hadn't considered, to your credit, are the contracts they sign relative to a timeline because a, a good lawyer could get could worm his way into the wording of something like that and maybe find some room for negotiation. Because one thing I'm certain of, Tyson Fury is not afraid of a third fight with Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is definitely not afraid of a third fight with Tyson Fury. But that said, if Tyson Fury could get out of that third fight legally get out of that contractual obligation and have a unification undisputed fight in the UK or even Saudi Arabia, I would be hard pressed to believe he wouldn't take that option no matter what's been said. The yeah. question for me is how do you get it? Pulev is probably the easier of the two to get to step aside just because he's with Aram. He could have a fight down, shot down the line. He'd probably pay him a lot more money to not fight than to fight. I could see that negotiation, like some bones for that to happen. But Deontay Wilder, He's not what doing would it. it take? Like, He's doing it. <laughs> what would it take? They, look, they say everybody's got a price, right? Which is can be insulting to a guy who fights on integrity. But for the sake of discussion, let's say everybody does have a price. I, there's got to be a number you could reach or a situation that you could put forward that would make at least Wilder start to think about well, it. This is exactly what Eddie Hearn was talking about when he's saying negotiations. What they're trying to do is they're trying to see how much money the Saudis are going to bring to the table. Now, I don't know, given the current circumstances of the pandemic, we all know the oil is basically, the oil companies are not making any money at all. So I'm curious to know, not saying they're not already like trillionaires, you know, obviously billionaires, but... Yeah, I think they saved a bit for a rainy day. <laughs> My point is, it has to make sense, doesn't it? And if they can't have it in front of a live audience, not that it's too big of a deal, because we all know the last time we went to Saudi, it wasn't the biggest crowd. But I just don't know how much money they'll be willing to, to fork out for a fight where a, a, a big chunk of that money will have to be placed aside for a step-aside fee to try to dangle the carrot in front of both of the opponents to say, well, if I gave you this much money, would you take it? What about this much money? Would you take that? They're going to keep playing with the number because they're going to have a budget in their head. And I think that's sort of what they're waiting on and hoping they can bank on the fact that Wilder will want to step aside just for a few more months before. And maybe he gets guaranteed the winner of that fight. Although we both know that's not going to happen because we have Dillian White, who apparently is locked into that February date, according to Mauricio Solomon. 
and they will not budge. He has to, whoever has the WBC title come February-ish will have to fight Dillian White before any other fight takes place. The only person in this entire conversation that I am certain, 100% without a doubt, is willing to budge on his promise is Mauricio Suleiman. <laughs> <laughs> There's <laughs> if it's up, if it's Dylan White who's next, it's like ah, twenty twenty two. How about that? Twenty twenty two. This guy has been willing to push Dylan White. Day. That's the argument though. Listen, if the argument is if we did have Joshua Fury next, right? Yeah. And whoever the winner is out of that fight will have to fight Dylan White next. Deontay Wilder won't be stepping aside for one fight. He'll be stepping aside for two fights before he gets to fight the WBC champion again. So is the, is it worth it to him? No, it's not going to happen. No, we are dreaming. We are wishful thinking. It's not going to happen. Deontay Wilder will not step aside. End of conversation. That's my true belief in it. I agree. That's my belief because I don't think that they're going to put something in front of him that is going to be worth more to him than a shot at his title again first up. But, Raheem, but if looking at it from the perspective of we may not have open crowds for a while, right? They want Joshua Fury in front of an open crowd. So I know that's why they're considering having the fights in various countries that have, like, less social distancing restrictions and are open to having crowds. That's not a guarantee that we're going to have that by, you know, unfortunately, by this winter. So... They want to hold that fight off. So is it happening next? No. If we're talking about keeping busy here, we're probably going to have Wilder Fury behind closed doors before we have Joshua Fury behind closed doors. Okay. All of that's fair, but I would say that the amount of value of an all-English undisputed heavyweight championship is so great that if you had to sacrifice an in-person crowd to get that fight on, you would 100% do it. The, especially if you could do it next, because there's going to be such a, a a hunger for anything. Something that huge would be a great way for boxing to reintroduce itself post-pandemic. Uh, one more point on this. One more point on this. And your, and your point's well taken. Like it, I know. We started this by saying how wildly unlikely it is. But let's remember that... Wilder just had bicep surgery. He did not perform well in the most recent fight. He's openly discussing changing his team. It looks to me like Tyson Fury has battled his demons successfully and is continuing to train. He seems in good spirits. He's He seems like he's going to come out of uh, quarantine ready to fight. Yeah. And is it, it might be like, this is something Wilder would never say, but if I was on his team or in his ear, I would have to like consider it might be in your best interest to drive the price up, get as good a deal as you can, as many promises as you can in writing, and maybe do that step aside, get prepared with whoever this new team is, test that bicep, heal up, change your approach, see what Wilder, uh, see what Fury, Joshua ends up being, you might get Fury out of the way without beating him again. And like I said at the very first broadcast, I'm as interested in Joshua Wilder today as I was when both of those fighters were undefeated. I still want to see that fight. I still think that there is a lot to be learned from those two guys facing each other. And if, and if Joshua somehow beats Fury, 
Wilder could have an in round to all the belts as opposed to just fighting to reclaim his one. But I want to put one one question to the to the fan. If you're Wilder, what would it take? Don't give me the, like, what would it take for you to take the criticism, to, to lose a shot at your title, to maybe never get another one? What would they have to put on the table? Uh, Do you know what I because, think? Wow. Uh, I think if, if, if we're going to play with the little numbers and if, you know, you're asking, so I'm just going to guess. My guess is if you're going, if he's going to take a step, a step aside fee and perhaps his team is suggesting like maybe the injury isn't completely healed, I would say it's going to take the same amount of money that he would have made in a fight to begin with. Yeah. Well, okay, the same amount of money he would make to fight Fury. Yes. I, I think they can probably come up with that money. And they especially, you know, we get this Saudi oil money. We get all the, the licensing. I can guarantee in the contract, Mauricio Solomon signs too. <laughs> um, that it would have to be that he gets the winner of that fight immediately following. No exceptions. But then again, then you got to get the mandatories. Who all got it? Everybody's got to agree, and I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening for all parties. It's like one fight's one thing, but it trickles down into multiple. So it's like you're really waiting a lot longer. You're waiting an additional year, if not longer, before you get your shot. So I just don't see maybe Pulev, because maybe if they can give Pulev a pretty nice chunk of change that he's never made before, I can understand that, but I just don't see it happening with Wilder. I'm still going to stand I say I'm wilder. I want a third of the purse. I want the, the favorite nation. Joshua Fury Wilder. Everybody makes the same money. You want me to step aside? I'm taking thirdsies with everybody. <laughs> and that's not all. <laughs> I wanna be I wanna be the co-main event fight facing Mike Tyson. <laughs> Remember when they were doing the, the negotiations for Joshua Wilder? Eddie didn't even want to give him, like, a certain percentage for the fight initially. And now we're expecting that that no flipping way in hell. Michelle, no. one of the last interviews I had with Eddie Hearn, he offered before the rematch of Fury. Can I retract the word? I mean, like, the initial offer, not the last offer, but the initial offer when they're first talking about making that fight. That's what I want to clarify. Yeah, okay, that's fair. All I'm saying is times, they are changing and the situation is so unique. I'm not saying they would do it. I'm saying that's how I'm coming to the table. Thirdsies. We'll leave it to the fans to tell us. If you can leave it in the comments, we will give you a shout. We just need you to tell us whether or not I mean, sorry, what amount you think it would take for Deontay Wilder to step aside to allow the mega fight between uh, Wilder and, I'm sorry, Joshua and Fury happen in Saudi Arabia? Let's move on, though. We need to go to the next time. Hey, Fight fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button so you can get notified every time we upload a new video. And we also have a free app available on iTunes and Google Play. So make sure you go ahead and download that. Bye, Fight fans.